Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee, where the Kabbalah is strong and the coffee is even stronger. Or the other way around. All right, something like that. I think, I think our motto, our official motto on the website is, what is it? Coffee in your cup and Kabbalah in your cup? Right? Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm here all week. Yeah, with your cup, your Yiddish cup. Alright, uh, let's begin with a story of a man who needs an attorney. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. And so he calls up the law firm, opens up the phone book, back in the day, when they, when they had phone books. Opened up the phone book, found the big ad, calls up the uh, law firm, the receptionist answers, Good morning, this is uh, Schwartz, 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 and Schwartz. The man says, Can I speak to Mr. Schwartz? And she says, sorry, Mr. Schwartz is out of town on a big case. Can I speak to Mr. Schwartz? Sorry, Mr. Schwartz is playing 18 today uh, on the golf course. Can I speak to Mr. Schwartz? Mr. Schwartz is out with a cold. Can I speak speak to Mr. Schwartz? Hold on one minute while I transfer the call. (laughs) All right, I thought it was funny. All right, uh, okay, good. So now that we're all uh, loosened up a little bit, let's talk about the Holy Land. Segway. Natural uh, transition here. Israel is called the Holy Land, correct? Did I make that up? Good. Why is it called the Holy Land? Okay, good. Fine. Okay, that's a good answer. So, I'll ask, so let me ask the follow-up question. called the Holy Land. The Holy Land. So the question is, why is it holy? Why is it holy? In other words, if you tell me that it's, ho- that it's called the Holy Land because it's holy, so I'll ask you the follow-up question. The obvious question is, why is it holy? Because of things that happened there. Give me more. Things that happened there because God chose it to be holy. Give me more. I need something else. Torah was given there. Okay, but I need something else. Need more info. Okay, good. Okay, we're getting somewhere. We're getting. This. So this is what I want to get to. This is what I want to get to. Okay, good. So in order to understand this, right, the Mount uh, Har Maria, Mount Moriah, I, I want to explain this the way the the Kabbalists explain the difference between the land of Israel and every other land on Earth, every other region, every other land on Earth, every other, every other country, etc. So it goes like this. Um, first of all, it's, uh, let's, I only have, this is the law of attrition, attrition maybe? Our handouts kind of get depleted. So just pass down to this way and to this way. And I don't think we have a lot of text left in this. I have the next chapter. I got more copies. But anyway, let's, uh, let's first speak about the land of Israel, the Holy Land. What is, what is about the Holy Land? What is it about the land that is holy? Kabbalah explains as follows. Kabbalah traces the way spiritual energy becomes materialized into our physical reality, into our world. And in Kabbalah, the process is described as one that the, where the energy descends through various spiritual worlds and through various sefirot, which are... Um, energies, divine energies, 
uh, ten in number through each world. So, you have four worlds, which are called in, uh, in, in Kabbalah, Atzilut, Berea, Yetzirah, and Nasiya, the world of emanation, the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of action. You have these four worlds. Within each world, there are ten sub-dimensions that represent three intellectual qualities and seven emotional qualities. But in general, these are, these are ten powers, ten energies, ten attributes within each world, ten divine attributes within each world. The lowest of the attributes in each world is an energy called Malchut. Malchut means royalty, kingship, sovereignty, etc. Malchut is the energy that gives birth to the next energy around below it. For example, you have the highest, the upper, the highest world, the highest of these four worlds, the world of Atzilot, the world of emanation, the lowest dimension of that world, or the lowest sphere, the lowest energy of that world, gives birth to the top of the subsequent world. Imagine, if you will, like links in a chain. So you're holding a chain, you're holding a necklace or a bracelet that's comprised of various links. You're holding it uh, in a vertical fashion, from top to bottom. So you have the bottom of the upper link linked to the top of the lower link, right? You have the lower of the top touching the higher of the bottom. So the same thing is true within the spherod, within the divine energies. You have malchut, the lowest, the lowest um, light, the lowest energy of the higher world touching and becoming a bridge in order to create the upper energy of the subsequent world, of the lower world, the world beneath it. That's how it works. And so goes the energy from emanation to creation to formation to action. Even in the world of action, it sounds like our physical world, there's still two dimensions. There's a spiritual realm of action and a physical world of action. Alright, good. Then what happens is something unique. The energy, the life and life, the light and life force, the spiritual light and life force that has now been filtered in a sense, if you want to look at it like this, it's the energy starts off very broad and potent, and as it descends, it, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower, like a funnel almost, where the energy becomes less spiritual in a sense and more coarse. Nonetheless, there's a step that's missing. The way it works is, the energy, the spiritual energy of Malchut, of Asiya, of, of the world of action, in other words, the lowest dimension of the lowest world, that's still spiritual, that energy is passed down to, good morning, that energy is passed down to what's called a Sar or Malach. What's a Malach? That's a Melech. What's a Malach? Huh? An angel. A Malach is an angel. A Sar is like a minister or an officer. The Malachim, the angels, are called Sarim, officers. Or ministers, divine officers, divine ministers. Right? They work for the God Squad. <laughs> Alright, so you have these angels. And it's, it says that there is an angel that is appointed to each and every nation. Every nation, every country, every nationality in the world. Now, originally there were 70, there are 70 primary nations and primary languages and primary uh, regions in the world. Okay, but now there are many more than there aren't just seventy nations of the world. But we, we, the understanding is that these other nations are derivative, derivatives of the original seventy nations of the world. Okay, forget the number for a second. The point is that there are <laughs> angels, 
divine ministers and officers, and it's kind of just synonymous. It's depending on which book you're reading, which Kabbalistic source you're reading. It might call it a malach, a sar, whatever. It could call it a different term. It's the same thing. There is a divine angel or minister appointed that, in a sense, rules over, or doesn't really rule over. It's, it's appointed... We have to be careful how we explain this, to govern, in a sense, that nation. So we all, we're all familiar, I, I, I think most of us are familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Twin brothers that couldn't get along. They were at war with each other, right? One, Yaakov, Jacob was a, uh, was a, a simple person, a, a simple, devout uh, uh, individual who studied Yoshev Olam. He was a, a person of the tent. He dwelled in, his, in, his, in the tent and he studied all day and he davened and he did, did all the mitzvahs. He did all the good stuff. And who was Esav? Who was Esav? Esav was Esav, the man of the field. He was a hunter. Right? He was a, he was a trapper. He tricked people. It says he trapped not only animals, he trapped people. He trapped women. Whatever. He, he was a trapper. Good. Anyway, so, good, two different, two different individuals. Yaakov goes off because after the story, again, this, the famous story where Yaakov, Jacob, takes, steals, quote-unquote, the blessings from his brother. So Yaakov has to flee. He goes away for, for, a, few dozen, uh, for a, few de- a few decades. Then he returns. And upon his return, what happens? He encounters his twin brother. What happens the night before? What does the Torah tell us? What happens the night before the confrontation? Jacob has a dream. No, 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 no. The, J- the dream happened before. Jacob crosses, he crosses his family over the Yabok River, right? And he goes back because he left a few things behind. He transfers back over the river. Now the Torah says, Vayevaser Yaakov Levado, that Jacob remained alone. His family was ahead. So it goes on. He was behind. Vayevaser Yaakov Levado, Vayeavek Ish Imoy, and a man began to wrestle with him. Torah tells us. Who was this man? Who was the angel? What, what, what kind of angel were we talking about? This is exactly what I'm saying. This is the angel that Esau is not just an individual, Esau is the father of a nation. And there's an angel for every nation. And Yaakov is fighting, is struggling, is wrestling. With the angel, our sages tell us, with the angel of Esau. And it takes the whole night, and as dawn is breaking, the angel says, what does the angel say? You gotta let me go. You gotta let me go. They were struggling, they were in the old uh, wrestling embrace, right? Not the, double, not the chair breaking, not the fake stuff. Anyway. So, <laughs> face paint. Okay. So you have. <laughs> Where am I now? It was a physical struggle. It was a physical struggle with an angel. I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's what. No, that's what it says. It's a physical struggle with an angel. That's not metaphorical. Allegorical. It happened. The battle happens on a spiritual level, but it also happened on a physical level. If the Torah says it happened, it happened. So they're struggling. So dawn breaks. The angel says, you've got to let me go. It's my turn to, uh, to sing. Even, no matter what angel you are, even if you're Asaph's angel, you still gotta got to praise God. You're still an angel. It's a good bless you. You're still a spiritual angel. So the, the angel says, let me go. Yaakov says, you've got to bless me. 
So he says, what's your name, Yaakov? No longer is your name Yaakov, your name is now Yisrael. And the rest is history, B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, etc. Okay. But my point is, just this is by way of illustration, to kind of, because a lot of us are familiar with this story, and when I introduce the concept of every nation having an angel, it may sound a little foreign, but again, this is all tied together. This is all tied to, And this is not even Kabbalah, what I just said, the story of Yaakov and Esau. It's not Kabbalah, it's Midrash, it's Talmud, it's, it's Rashi, whatever, it's, it's all the classic commenters. So, every, yeah. are, are there 70 such experiences for each nation? Mm. Of wrestling? I hope not. No, no, no. This was a one-time deal. This represented the battle between uh, the values of Yaakov and the values of Esau. And it also allegorically, metaphorically represents the idea that the battle is going to go on through the night. Before the dawn breaks, in other words, before Mashiach comes, before the end... It'll, uh, darkness will be vanquished. But until then, in other words, Esav represents murder, like all, all, of the, you know, all the brutality of the world. The idea is that the goodness will eventually overcome, but it's going to be a struggle. A struggle all night. It's going to be a struggle. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. We're still struggling, yeah. yeah. That, that's the, the Ramban, Nachmanides in the Torah says, Maisa of a similar banim, that what, the, what our patriarchs and matriarchs did the stories that are recorded in Torah are a seminar, a signpost for us, for their children. So it's it's not like it's almost like they 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 uh, blaze the trail for various things. So this struggle, goodness will overcome. But we know the end of the story. The end of the story is goodness prevails. Mashiach comes, and the whole world is a, is a good place. That's how it ends. We got to get there. We're working on it. We're getting there. By the way, the fact that, and I, I don't want to derail the conversation too much, and I'm not going to get into specifics, I'm going to allude to something here. The fact that the world is outraged when somebody in a position of power does not act decisively and holds that person accountable is an unbelievable, again, the horrors of what happened, um, the fact that, that an individual that has the ability to stop things and doesn't, is called out and held accountable and held, taken to task for it is an amazing step in, in, in our evolution as a society. It means that it's not okay to just, to just be an idle bystander. It's not okay to say, I didn't do it, or I, 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 I said something about it. If you can stop it and you don't, this is what Torah says, Lo Do not stand idly by your brother's blood. If you can stop it and you don't, you are complicit in the murder. That's it. You're complicit. The fact that... The, but how, we haven't always, as a world... These are Torah values. As a world, we haven't always been there. We've excused people to say, what, what could I have done? What should I have done? It wasn't me that did it, etc. It's happened for years and years and years. We move from a place... Anyway, the point is, slowly but surely, the light is breaking through, and it's, uh, we're getting to a better place. The point is, though, getting back to our, uh, our, our theme here, Every nation has an angel. And then there's a further step. The angel, so the angel in a sense, receives the energy, the light and life force from Malchut, of Asiya. Again, we're getting Kabbalistic terminology. The point, all, all you have to remember is that there's an energy, a spiritual energy there. And the energy is passed from a spiritual place to an angel that is specifically appointed over a certain region, a certain nation, a certain country. Then it tra- it, the energy moves from the angel to a constellation, and there's a certain constellation that is associated with each specific nation. 
There are 70 permutations of the constellations, and each one, one is associated with each of the primary nations. And then, the energy flows from the constellations, from the stars, to the actual, uh, to the ground, to the actual place. Yeah? So are you saying that, I mean, is there significance in the fact that the blessing was demanded? It was, he was holding the angel hostage. There's a lot of, there's, we can get into the story and there's just, uh, there's, uh, as I say, there's, there's no limit to the, to the symbolism there. We can discuss, but I, all, I, I only wanted to bring out the concept that many of us are familiar with that there was an angel of Esau because there was an angel for that nation. So that's, I don't really want to get too much into the, to the details otherwise. After class we can, uh, we can schmooze. So every nation has an angel and then has a constellation and then the energy is trans- transferred into, into that, that, that place. Which is why you can look to the stars and kind of see what's, uh, what's happening. If you're able to read the stars, you can, get it, you can at least try to get an idea. And this is a broader discussion that we once had about uh, astrology and, and Judaism, what Judaism take on it. But the idea is, in general, the stars do hold information because that, has, that is how the energy, the light and life force, the blessings, are, uh, are given to this world. Now, yeah? Is there somewhere where the specifics are mapped out that say, okay, this is the energy of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We have Rabbeinu Bechaya, in the footnote on page on page 32 footnote 40 you have their various lands and nations yeah I'm, I'm not this this I'm not an expert in as far as the ones that are quoted here we have other ones that would have to it, look we, possibly we can look into that uh, do a map of the world with like an overlay of the Kabbalistic uh, top topography Kabbalography Starlography. This, these are bu- this is bumper sticker worthy. All right, so maybe not yet. Okay, good. So let's let's move on. The land of Israel is unique, and it's called the Holy Land for a spe- for a, for a very simple reason. I'm answering the question that, we, that I asked at the beginning of the class. Again, every nation has an angel and has a star, except for the land of Israel. The land of Israel does not have an angel and does not have a star. The energy comes direct. It's got a direct line. Cut out the middle, man. This is... Ah, uh, you like... Wait, wait, wait. One second, one second, one second. One second, one second, one second. One second, one second. Let's, we're talking about land. Right now, let's talk about land. Huh? That was right. This is where the other shoe drops. Okay. You know the story about the other shoe dropping. I think Dr. Torsky used to say this. Dr. Torsky used to say this. Said that, you know, you come home, a man comes home, in New York City, apartments, you know, thin walls, etc. So somebody comes home from a late night of fabranging or slash partying, you know, comes home like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., lies down on his bed, just kicks off his shoe, and a big clop. And he, then he realizes, after the first shoe, like, I probably woke up the neighbor downstairs. Right? So the second shoe, he takes off carefully and puts, like, quietly down. Meanwhile, the neighbor downstairs, here's the first shoe. It's like waiting for the second shoe. Second shoe. After 15 minutes, runs upstairs. Will you take off your other shoe already? I can't go to sleep. It's waiting for the other shoe to drop. Okay, so the land of Israel, 
the land of Israel is a place, the reason why it's called the Holy Land is because it doesn't have the angel, and it doesn't have the, the star. It doesn't have a mazal Israel. There is no star for Israel. There's no star, there's no mazal, there's no constellation. Mazal means constellation. There's no mazal, there's no constellation. Which means that it's directly under Hashem. It's directly under God. Now, now, this is why the land itself has a sense of holiness. You sense, you can feel in Israel. Now again, I have to, we, obviously we have to give a disclaimer. No matter what energy is right at your fingertips, you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to, you can do whatever you want. As human beings, we have the ability to ignore, right, to reject even the, the greatest blessings, to reject the obvious. It doesn't, look, we're, we can pull off, human beings, we've done, we're crazy like that. So we can do whatever we want. However, the reality is that there's, more, there's a more intense energy and there's a closer connection that one has to God in Israel because it doesn't operate under the layer of obfuscation principle. In other words, it doesn't have the, uh, the shrouds, it doesn't have the angel, it doesn't have the constellation, it doesn't have the intermediaries that can confuse the, uh, the recipient of the energy thinking, well, maybe it comes from an angel. Maybe it comes from a constellation. All right, Marnie, what you got? None of us have to. Pardon? None of us have to. Have to be influenced by. The idea is, and this is really a, more of a, a conversation that we had with, uh, with this, when we had the astrology uh, thing, shindig, and that is uh, <laughs> the astrology party, and that is um, that even if something is predestined in the stars, you can change your destiny. That's where free choice comes in. In other words, you can change through your choices, you can change the way your life unfolds. Because you don't have to be a slave to, um, to chance. To, not even to chance. You don't have to be a slave to whatever, whatever map is, is, is laid in front of you. Well, we have the choice. We, have, we can make free. We have, we have the choices to make. So, so that's one thing. But the, idea, the point that I want to make is that there is a closer connection a more obvious connection between the recipients of, of, of blessing in Israel and the source than in any other place on earth. And you can feel it, yeah. So what, what, go back to the angel that wrestled with Jacob. Yes. He was not the angel for Israel. No, 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 no. He was the angel for Esau. And the, and the angel, Esau, is the father of Edom, Rome, that Italy, like that. Oh, I see. So the angel so, for Rome gave the blessing. Exactly, exactly. For Edom, Edom is you know it's, it's probably a bunch of different countries, but right. that primarily it was and is meant that to be Rome. Why was that the triggering mechanism for for the Holy Land not having? Any well, that's a good question. Um, I think you know the I think what you're asking is well, when did that start? That there was no, did it start at the beginning of time? It seems like it started at the beginning of time. Because even at the beginning of time, it was, the land of Israel was designated to be the Holy Land. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of special things happened on the Temple Mount. 
the area where the temple was built. Um, that's where Adam brought his first sacrifices. Noah brought his sacrifices. A lot of special things happened there. Abraham brought sacrifices. There. Like, so a, lot of, a lot of special stuff happened. So it seems like there was always more direct connection. Again, I want to be clear here. That doesn't mean that everyone was always monotheistic in Israel. We know that that wasn't the case. Right? Abraham came and, and, and revolution. The point is that even if something, even if a land is under a direct connection, as human beings, we still have the ability to cloud it. The point is that there is an easier way. There, you can plug into the truth easier in Israel than you can in other nations. Yeah. This is probably another discussion, but um, that explains why it's such a an area of contention. Because, Absolutely. I mean, because it's the energy is so much for so many other groups of people as well. But it's also when you have such a such a potent force of energy, you can go a little bit more sugar. You get you, no. I'm am serious. No, you get. You're very intense. And everyone, I mean, everyone's everyone intense. Claims that it's a different. That's not right. That's right. That's uh, there's a, the idea, It's definitely a holy place, and it's an intense place. It's an intense place because it has a pure. It's almost like. Look, we we've discussed lots of times about light and vessel. That you got to minimize the light so that the vessel can contain it. When you have a lot of light, it it. It can disrupt, it can disturb a vessel. Too much light in the eye disturbs the eye. I'm not saying it's too much. I'm saying it's a lot. It's like your bandwidth is not throttled anymore. It's like, you know, usually Comcast, whatever you use, they're like throttling your bandwidth. Here it's like, boom, you got a pipeline. Huh? No filters, no nothing. Gornish, you got a, ma- you got a pipeline straight to the source. Now again, when I say straight to the source, you have to be careful here. It's not... It's to Malchot of Avasiyah, which is connected with Malchot of Yitzira. I'm just saying, the various Malchot dimensions of all the worlds, all the way up. So it's not like to the essence of, it's not like plugged straight into the essence. It's still being filtered, but it doesn't go through the angel and the constellation. What it reminds me of, though, um, two different things. One, you've talked about souls that face you know, huge challenges. It's also that they have the capacity to mm-hmm. overcome the other challenges, like if God doesn't give anyone more challenges they can handle. So perhaps part of it is that that land has so much potential for light that the darkness is there to convert. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you have a, uh, a lot of positive energy, there's going to be automatically a lot of negative energy, a lot of uh, Yetzirah action, right, evil inclination stuff, that gets, that tries to combat it. Which is, by the way, a great meditation. This is a little bit of an aside, but based off of that point, it says in the book of Tanya, which is a classic, classic book of uh, Hasidic philosophy, Chabad philosophy. The classic. The written Torah, so to speak, of, of Chabad philosophy. It says like this. This is just a very, I think it's a very relevant and important meditation. Something to think about. Sometimes when we pray we feel like we're distracted. And we feel like we're doing it wrong. He says, Tanya, we're doing it right. If you feel distracted, you should know that the distraction is coming from the other side, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, sensing that you're, that you're, that you're in a positive direction. So it says, like the, it's the, going back to the wrestling analogy, because Tanya uses the wrestling analogy to describe what's the inner workings of, of what goes on within us, the struggle between the two parts of us. Right? When one side is goever, when one side strengthens themselves in a wrestling match, the other one exerts more. Right? If there's a status quo, so each one is going to do the little, uh, you know, the little uh, wrestling dance. But when one exerts itself, the other one says, I don't think so, boom, the other way. 
So the same thing is true when we do a mitzvah, when we daven, when we pray, whatever it is. When we're accomplishing something positive, the negative always kicks in. So if you feel the negative, you're not doing it wrong, you're doing it right. So just remember to tell yourself, shh, you come back later. You come back later. Let me, let me continue where I'm doing. No, it's so easy to think, oh, I'm distracted anyway. Pff, forget about it. Right? Forget it. I'm wasting my time. It's not. That's what it wants you to think. When I say it, it's a horror, whatever, evil inclination. Okay, good. But wait, Jews don't believe that uh, God doesn't give us more than we can. Is that, what, is that what the volume is saying? No. What do you mean? Yeah. I'm quoting you Aramaic from the Talmud. God doesn't come with more than a person can handle. If we are given a test, it means that we're given... God doesn't want us to fail. We're too big to fail. Nice. No, we're too, we're too important to fail. God doesn't want us to fail. If we want, it's, not, it's not looking to, to, to zap us. Alright, let's, um, let's jump into the text, because I think this is, this is exactly what we needed to really, uh, to really decipher some of this good stuff. What I want to do is, I want to pick up the text... On page 32, the second paragraph which we read, but I want to pick it up again because it's very important that we, that we go over this and we start from here. What we've been discussing inside, and again, what, we, what I just talked about outside is going to segue, is going to converge beautifully with what we discussed inside. Um, what we've discussed outside is that every nation, every land has an angel and has a constellation, as opposed to the land of Israel. The problem is, or the, the challenge is, that when a nation, when a, when a people get their beneficence, when they get their blessing, channeled through a constellation, or through an angel, or through whatever, the sun and the moon and the stars, the challenge is that the individual can say, look, who's, uh, you know, wh- where is my blessing coming from? An angel. Or it's coming from a star, or a sun, or whatever. So let me worship, or at least give thanks to, the star, the constellation, the angel, etc. And it pulls, it distracts the individual, or the nation, collectively, from the real source, which is God. The problem is, again, that that's the way it's set up. In other words, it's set up, it's built, the challenge is actually built in to the framework of the world. The framework of the world is such that the challenge is not an, it's, it's not an imagined challenge. It's a real challenge. The real challenge is that the energy is, is being filtered through intermediaries. So one says, look, if it's coming through an intermediary, you've got to uh, thank the intermediary. Maybe you have to worship the intermediary. Maybe the intermediary has power to, uh, to give more. Hence the challenge. Hence the source of idolatry. All right. Here he talks about different lands and the various constellations that are associated with these selective lands. Alright, we read it last week, but I want to pick it up here. Uh, David, please take it away. For example. For example, in the land of Greece, which receives its vitality through the constellation Virgo, women often served as heads of state and were deified, since to the idolaters thinking these women were the embodiment of those gods who were providing the flow of vitality to their land. So Greece, and as the footnote aptly points out, Greece here refers to the general Hellenistic culture, and specifically in this context, referring to Egypt, that who had they had uh, lots of um, uh, of, of female uh, rulers, as you see over there, Bernice, Bernice, Cleopatra, Bernice, Cleopatra, etc. Various, 
And as Maria pointed out last time, last week after class, um, wh- what did you say? You said that uh, the, the, they had to have a direct connection to Alexander the Great. Exactly. I mean, they had to be descendants of Alexander the Great in order to be ruling over the Egypt so it's not just uh, in our footnote in this text to kind of make the text work that says uh, when it says Greece it doesn't only mean Greece it means Egypt and that this actually was true that's how they ruled if you wanted to rule if you wanted to be a ruler a king or queen in Egypt you had to have a bloodline straight to Alexander the Great because, because it was at the time Egypt was under control of Rome in general and Rome was controlling you know, a lot of lands and Egypt Got it. So, so, th- so there was a, definitely a connection, and the idea is that Virgo was the constellation that those lands was de- were deriving their energy from. In other words, the energy we spoke about how the ed- spiritual energy gets transferred to an angel and then gets transferred to a constellation. The constellation there that was uh, that was th- that was in a sense the intermediary was Virgo. Therefore, they knew that, and therefore they put women as heads of state in order to kind of embody a physical embodiment, in other words, to kind of make the transition smoother and closer, right? Because they deified their own rulers who represented the, the, the rulership of the constellations, or represented the rulership of the angel, and therefore the, they felt the energy would be, would be channeled in a, in a clearer way. As footnote 40 says, there are other lands. Ishmael receives its vitality through Scorpio, Persia through Sagittarius, Philistines through Capricorn, Edom through Virgo or Libra. So there you have different constellations. And again, maybe we'll do a class one day with the, uh, the overlay. All right, I, I, got, I got my work to go. I got, I got to look into this now. All right, good. But th- so that's the point we want to make. And again, it's a, it's a mistake that's made. And we'll, we'll detail in the next two paragraphs why it's a mistake, but it's a mistake that's made because of a simple thing. Because that's the way the energy flows. The energy flows through other spaces. If it was just God and the world, right? God giving. So it would be easier, or we would be less, perhaps, less prone to make a mistake, less prone in the first place. But when there are other steps involved, it becomes easier to be mistaken. It's like in our lives, Right? It's like the same thing is true. Forget ancient whatever, ancient Egypt and, and Cleopatra for a second. Right? Put that out of your head. Think about this. Right, right? Totally. Don't, whatever you do, don't look behind you, pillar of salt. Always happens, right? Anyway. Good. It's a little uh, uh, Lot's wife reference. Now I'm thinking about it. Thinking about pillars of salt. Good. Um... Cleopatra, let's segue back into... What am I say saying? Oh, no, it's no, it's all good. I, I got myself up. What, what were we just talking about? Not got, about uh, no, 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 be right before that. Intermediaries, meeting an intermediary. Intermediaries. If it was just God and the world... No, yeah, we can start from there again. Yeah, yeah, totally. If it was just God and the world, it would be relatively easier. It would be God and the world. But God sets it up in a way that there's an intermediary. I had something here. I'm trying. I'm trying to get it. Yeah, go. Oh, really? And my third point... <laughs> now, 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 we have to be nice. Go. As Jews in the diaspora, yes. are we involved in that system? Yeah, well, very good question. It says in Tanya, good, that this is... 
Sod Galus HaShchina. This is the secret of Galus, of the exile of the Shechina, which is that the Jewish people who are supposed to be in the land of Israel, in other words, living in that because of the unique Jewish mission. Right, which is to be led into the nation. So we need the, the, um, the if, if anyone needs clarity, we need clarity to be able to share it with, uh, with to teach the clarity to others. When we are displaced and exiled out of Israel, and we find ourselves in other lands that don't have the clarity, so that's uh, that's that's a true exile. That's that's the meaning of exile, where you have, you know, a, 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 a nation whose very purpose of existence is to be a shining example of, of what faith and monotheism and goodness is, finds themselves displaced and, and under, in a sense, at least to a certain extent, uh, the, the workings of a land in which the reality and the truth of, of God's presence is not so obvious, it becomes a tremendous challenge. That's where we are today. Unless we're in the land of Israel, then it's a little bit easier. But then we have other challenges. So it's all... Doesn't that give good. you an opportunity to be a light unto the nation? Uh, right, absolutely. But, the, the, but there's a challenge. There's a unique challenge. In other words, the opportunity, you're right, the oppor- it says, the Talmud says that it's a good thing, to a certain extent, to whatever we could say it. The exile is good, in a sense, because there's two ways, there's two ways to teach. One is to sit down and to draw others, and one way is to go out. Right? It's like two different modalities. You have Abraham's modality. Oh, it was about... <laughs> Abraham, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, Abraham's modality was to travel around. He was on the forefront. He was on the crossroads. He was on the cutting edge. He was right where the people were. He was with his four-sided tent, four doors, ready to go. Isaac never left the land of Israel. Once he was brought as a... Once he was elevated, bound as an offering... So he was never allowed to leave the land of Israel. He was more of the, I'm in Israel and draw. In Kabbalah, there's two ways. You could spread the light out. You can, you can take the source of light and bring it to, to different places. Or you can shine such a bright light that others are attracted to the light and, and draw close. Like a lighthouse. Like a lighthouse, right. Or like, um, oh, this is going to sound weird. No, like lights, moths. No, no one's moths. But no, but the point is that like, when you have a big... Yeah, but, I, yeah, but I, it's not. But the point is, when there's a big light, right? If it's dark, you know they tell a story about a guy who's looking for his keys. You know the story. You know the story, right? Guy's looking for his keys by under the light, under the uh, lamp uh, lamp post lamp. What's it called? The, the street lamp. Looking for his keys, and somebody comes over and says, "What are you looking for?" He says, "They're looking for my keys." I was looking around. Spends ten minutes. Where was the last time you saw them? He goes over there. So. So why, I lost them over there, so why are we looking over here? He's like, because here's where the light is. So as, anyway, we're always attracted to light, right? We're always attracted to light. So there's two different ways. Anyway, the point is, getting back, that there's certainly a benefit of exile and, and diaspora and, and, and moving out, which is that things can be accomplished. But there's also power in, in concentration. I mean, look, there's different ways to look at it. There's different ways to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. Chesed and Gvura absolutely balance each other. Jacob. No, no. Oh, so, oh, picture and catcher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Abraham was out there spreading the light. Right. And Isaac was there to catch It says Isaac, the, the only thing we know about Isaac, the only thing the Torah tells us about him, other than being offered, being brought up as a thing, the only other story, the Torah, even his marriage, he wasn't involved in his shit, in his marriage. Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, found him a wife. He, we, nothing, we're told nothing about him, except for one thing. He dug wells. 
He's a well digger. The idea of digging a well means that you're, it's, it's like a, it's you're digging inside to bring out. You're not, it's not about, it's more of an internal experience. It's like an introspective. He was more like a guru. He was more like an intro, not in a bad way, but more of an introverted type, you know, digging the wells and getting, you know, refining oneself and getting to the best, you know, polishing oneself and you know, bringing out the light within. As opposed to Abraham, had a different modality. Yaakov, it says Jacob had a combination. Jacob brought everyone together. It's Midas Emes Yaakov. Yaakov had truth. Truth is right in the middle. You have one extreme one way. That's why from Abraham came out Yishmael, and from, from, from Yitzchak, from Isaac came out Esau. So each, any side, if you're one side or the other, it can go a different direction. But Yaakov, Mitasei Shlema Yaakov, all 12 of his children were, were tzaddikim notwithstanding the sale of Joseph, which is another story, all 12 were tzaddikim, and uh, the reason is because he had that, that, that middle, that convergence of both energies. Okay, let's get back here. 32, um, we need to read the two paragraphs here uh, that explain why it's a mistake. Because I can argue that if the vitality in the other lands indeed flows through constellations and angels, etc., so why shouldn't, I, uh, why shouldn't I serve them? Why shouldn't I give them credit? Why shouldn't I honor them? Why shouldn't I, in a sense, uh, practice some form of idolatry uh, with the stars? What's wrong with that? So continue. David, take it away. Uh, although it is true that every influx of vitality to a land does indeed pass through the leader who rules and governs that land. And by the way, the leader here does not necessarily mean the president or the king. The leader here is Hamoshel Veshoilet, which is referring to the supernal angel leader that is governing the land, as well as the constellation that's governing the land. Nevertheless, this influx simply passes on through him. He himself is not the provider or source of the vitality. Rather, it can be compared to a craftsman who performs his labor with tools. Although it seems as if the tools carry out the actual work, it is in fact the craftsman who employs the tools. After all, it is the craftsman and not his tools who receive the praise for being the wondrous craftsman who produced such a wondrous masterpiece. Now, the, usually the example we give is like an artist and a paintbrush. I want to go, I was thinking last night, let's do a different example. A doctor, a surgeon, right? A surgeon, a complex surgery. A surgeon needs... Tools, right? You can't do a surgery with your bare hands. You need tools. You need precision, precision instruments. You need whatever, even robotics, whatever you need. You need, you need amazing tools, right? Sophisticated, high-tech, or whatever, sharp. Whatever you, tools you need, right? I'm not a doctor. I only play one on TV. <laughs> okay, so you need tools. The thing is like this. No one would ever say... Oh, go to that doctor, he's got the best tools. Or go to that doctor, she's got the best tools. No one's going to say that. It's not the tools. It's the surgeon. It's the doctor. Right? It's not... Okay, there are certain tools, certain scans, certain things that you need, of course, but it's the doctor, especially with the surgery, it's the doctor that gets the credit. It's the doctor that is, that is the one who's, who's doing it. It's the doctor that's doing the surgery. He's got the knowledge, he's got the skill, he's got the experience. He can, you know, it's the doctor that's doing it. Of course, at the end of the day, you could say, wait, 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 what's actually touching the body? What's touching the patient? What's actually interfacing? What's actually doing the surgery? The tool, the scalpel, whatever other tools are, are used, right? The tools are doing it. In other words, if you look very myopically, if you look at very narrow, and you say, look, don't bother, I don't want to know what's going on behind the curtain so to speak. I don't want to know what's going on. All I know is that this tool cut that or did that or, or pushed it, whatever it was, 
And that's what caused the healing. So good, I'm going to thank the tool. It's ludicrous. No one would ever say that. It's silly. It's silliness. He says the same thing is true with the way the energy, with the way the energies flow into the world. Of course, if you look at it in a very narrow way, the constellation, it comes through the mazel, it comes through the, the, the Virgo, whatever comes through the constellation. Or I could, oh, it comes through the angel. There's the angel appointed. That's where it comes from. It's like the tool. You're going to thank the tool. Right? You don't thank the tool. You thank the craftsman. You thank the one who's using the tool. God uses the angel. God uses the constellations. God uses these tools in order to pass the energy down into the world and into the, the specific land that we're talking about. So you don't thank the tool. You thank the, you thank the one behind the tool. All right. Yeah. Sure. So why, why then are those intermediaries, why do they exist? Why, why isn't it just a complete, direct... Few different answers. Uh, number one, because that's how God wanted it. That's not really an answer. I mean, that's the reality. But as far as an answer, number one, God wanted nature to look natural. In other words, God wanted the world to run in a way that it could look like it's running by itself. God wants it to look like that. In other words, if we can say, wow, I can explain everything through natural science and everything has a nature and everything makes sense, that's exactly the way God wanted it. But why does it work like that? But why is the nature of this molecule and this atom and this whatever to do that? Because we know how to manipulate things today and we know even how to predict certain things, but why does it have that nature? Science doesn't have that answer. In other words, the na- so, but, but just that's getting off point for a second. In other words, the point is that na- God wanted the world to look natural. Why? Because He wanted a natural-looking world. Why? Because he want- maybe because He wanted the challenge of discovering the truth behind the world. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a challenge. If God was obvious, if there was no curtain up, if there was no... Let's, and we're using nature as a euphemism for the, chal- the, the, um, the concealment and that which makes it difficult to perceive the truth behind it. So if God lifted the veil of nature, if there was no veil of nature, if it was obvious where everything was coming from, what would be, what would be the point, in a sense? We would be the angels. We would be you know, those beings that just are in a place of light and place of truth, and know the truth because it's obvious to us. So, God, so the Torah tells us that the source of everything, and what God wanted was, Bereshis bara Elohim. The beginning Elohim created. Elohim is always used. The name Elohim, the divine name Elohim, connotes nature. Elohim is the same numerical value as Hateva, which means the nature. So Elohim, 86. Elohim, with a hey, obviously. Elohim is nature. And God wanted a world that looks, that looks natural, a natural world, which really is a beautiful segue into what we're going to discuss momentarily as we segue into the next chapter with Pharaoh. Because as we'll see, Pharaoh knows Elohim. When Joseph speaks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks him about his dreams, to interpret his dreams, Joseph says, Elohim will provide for you an answer. I'm going to channel Elohim. The Pharaohs know Elohim, i.e. nature, the God of nature. They understand the force of nature. The issue is though, do you associate it with that with something greater than nature? So that's the challenge. So but as far as your question of why is it set up that way, because that provides the challenge of life, which is to be able to muster the strength and courage to look behind the curtain. 
So why does the land of Israel not have it? To make it a little bit easier. Because you have to have moments or areas of concealment, but also breakthroughs of openness. Otherwise, the challenge becomes too difficult. If you have a riddle, and you never, and you, you never give an opening, a crack, to be able to decipher it, right? if you have ancient uh, handwriting, and there's no key, there's no code, there's no, it becomes a closed uh, experience. So you have to have certain cracks, certain fissures, in order to be able to see inside, to be able to then interpret the whole picture in a completely different way. So you need the majority of lands to be concealed, and one to be to be open. And that's the interplay that we have. I take no responsibility for previous... If we were just given it, it either blind us or it would, would it mean as much. Well, Certainly. It would, it, it, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the whole thing of self-will, self-determination. Absolutely. All right, let's, uh, let's look at the final paragraph, Alon. Along these same lines, we can understand the concept that although the flow of vitality does indeed pass through the ministering angel, he is like a craftsman's tool. Although the craftsman's creative capacity must be channeled through the tool in order to be realized, the tool itself is due no credit at all. And again, the reason why this is a parenthesis is because this explains the mistake, the error, and, and of, of, of this notion that, well, because the energy is, is actually, it's true, it's not false, it's, tr- is, is channeling through a, an angel or through a, a ministering angel or through a, a constellation, a star, a whatever, because of that. So I need to give some credit to that angel, ministering angel constellation. It seems like a solid argument. He says the reason why it doesn't hold water is because we have to understand that it's like a craftsman's tool. It's like the scalpel. You don't, you don't attribute any credit to that. And if you do, number one, you're mistaken. And number two, so number one, you sound foolish. Number two, it distracts from the, the reality. It distracts from where the credit ought to go. Right? Instead of thinking about God, we're thinking about paintbrushes and scalpels. We're thinking about the wrong things. Now we're on page 34. Now, page 34, I already have new handouts. Because this is already into, into chapter 3. So, if anybody is on the handout and wants a copy, please take and pass. Please take and pass. All right, let's continue. David, you're doing well. 34 at the top. In saying that the Creator is the God of gods, the idolaters offer the interpretation that while while He is their ultimate source of vitality, He does not rule over or govern the world at all. Now, this is important. The premise of this is a Talmudic statement that that idolaters also call God, God, but the God of gods. In other words, idolaters don't deny... At least the classic idolaters don't deny the existence of a higher power, a first, a prime mover, a first cause, etc. But they say that that God is God of gods. In other words, there's other gods. So they say that although God is the ultimate source, but God is not involved. Continue. Uh, he does not rule over or govern the world at all. Instead, they claim that He is the God of gods for the earth. 
to man, etc. No, no, for the earth he gave, dot, 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 meaning? Okay, uh, meaning the ministering angels and constellations are the ones that manage the earth, since for him to do so would be degrading, as previously explained. Right, so for God to be involved in the nitty-gritty, ah, God is not involved. So you have to understand that it's more than, the reason why, typically, uh, and again, before Abraham, no one was thinking this, or pretty much no one was thinking this, along the lines of Abraham, they were all thinking this, I'm about to say, is because and that, that, that we should give credit to the paintbrushes because it's not just a paintbrush. Because God is not painting the world. God, is not paint, God has better things to do than paint the world. Right? God has better things to do than paint the town red. Right? God is not, God is not involved. God is, uh, God is God. God is removed from, re- from our physical reality. You know, whatever. So the angels are involved. The constellations are involved. They're the ones that manage the earth. It would be degrading otherwise. Continue. Um, God is so exalted in the sense of being lofty and exalted that His glory transcends the heavens, as has likewise been explained above. Okay, good. Continue. This is what God meant when He said, I know not the Lord. Now, this is important. What He's going to do is, He's going to go through three statements of Pharaoh. These are statements that Pharaoh makes upon the first meeting between, or the first confrontation between Moses and... Aaron and Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh and they say, God has said, let my people go. Okay, Hashem, not Elohim. Hashem meaning Yudke Vavke, the, the tetragrammaton, on the, the ineffable name of God. In other words, God. Let's just say God as, as opposed to Lord, maybe. So God said, actually, oh, here's translated as Lord. That's not going to help. All right, so Hashem. Hashem said, let my people go. Pharaoh's first response is three things. He says three, three points. Number one, I know not Hashem. Number two is, who is Hashem that I should listen to Him? And three is, I will not let the Jewish people go. Those are three points. And as he explains in this paragraph beautifully, each one stems from the previous. It's a progression here. Number one, I know not Hashem. Continue, what does that mean? He has no relation whatsoever to me in as much as he is lofty and so on and has abandoned the management of the world for the constellations and ministering angels. I know not Hashem. Why do I know not Hashem? Because who's Hashem? What has he done for me lately? Who's Hashem? Hashem. What does Hashem have to do with Egypt? Egypt. The Nile River. The constellation of Egypt. The ministering angel of Egypt. These, this is what's running Egypt. What's giving vitality? Oh, I know what I was going to say before. In our own life, we have the same issue. We also think, where does my paycheck come from? It comes from here. Where does my health come from? It comes from here. It comes from there. It comes from there. We, all, we put in all the layers. We do the same thing in our lives. right? We put in all the layers. If I do this, it's going to be good for me. If I do this, it's not going to be good for me. Because we control all of that, we think. Whatever. And, and there's enough reminders in life that tell us you don't control a, a thing. All right, that's also, but that's okay. The point is here. Pharaoh says, Mo, Mo, Moses says, Moshe says, God says, Hashem says, let my people go. What are you talking about? Hashem? I know not Hashem. In other words, I know Hashem there, but I know not. I, I don't know Hashem here. What's Hashem here? Hashem says, let, Hashem's getting involved in in Egyptian affairs, and who's going to be a slave and who's going to be free? Are you kidding me? Hashem is getting involved. What does Hashem have to do with this? The angels are involved. The ministering angels are involved. The constellation is involved. The Nile River, which they worship, is involved. The other things that they worship. That's, that's, what's, that's what, what's on the ground. That, those are the powers of Egypt. 
God Hashem? Who's Hashem that I know not Hashem? Continue, therefore. Therefore, who is the Lord that I should listen to? If I were a reason that God would surely not intervene to change the terrestrial, terrestrial status quo, i.e. his harsh enslavement of the Jews, and have them sent away from his presence to serve God in the wilderness. As such, I will not release Israelites. That's it. That's the progression. Number one, I know not the Lord. In other words, who is Hashem here? Second of all, who is Hashem that I should... So I know not the Lord. I don't know who He is because I haven't seen him lately. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Therefore, so why should I listen to him? In other words, Hashem wants. Who, Hashem doesn't want anything. And therefore, I'm not going to let the Jewish people go. Because what, what, what dictates power, this is all about power. What dictates power according to Pharaoh, and again, according to us as well, if we're honest with ourselves, is stuff that we do. Or stuff that others do, or stuff, what politics and, and Wall Street and all this, everything. There's all, so many layers that are involved, and, and we become slaves to them. Slaves to all these forces. And Pharaoh was slaves to his forces. He said, Hashem says, let my people go. Hashem is getting involved here. I don't think so. Hashem's got way more important things to do. When was the last time Hashem was involved? Yeah. It, to me. But wait, I want to say one thing actually. What we can say for ourselves also, right? I'm going to pray. For healing, I'm going to pray for some, or for myself, for a job, for somebody. I'm going to pray. What does prayer have to do with it? I, I need to hit the interviews. I need to hit, hit the doctors. What I need to pray. I need to do a mitzvah to have the what? What's the connection? What's the connection? It's exactly what Pharaoh is saying. Pharaoh is saying, "How can Hashem, the great Hashem, intervene? Why would He intervene? He's not going to intervene." Moses, go back. Go go back to where you came from. I'm not, I'm not letting the Jewish people go. Because that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't move things here on earth. What moves things? Other things, other forces. Not God. God doesn't intervene. But the Pharaohs saw themselves as gods. They, as, as we do ourselves, right? We, have the, we control our own destiny. We dictate who lives and who dies and who's a slave and who's free. We dictate that. Once, yeah. It's very um, understandable to me, that whole construct. Because it's totally. a way to compartmentalize and to sort of simplify and to to say like I could understand that construct much because there's no there, because it's what's revealed to you absolutely it's what you see in the ground it's what you see it's what you see in the ground that there are things that when this happens that happens when this happens that happens and God is going to intervene and, and free a nation we got to go to the UN right we got, I'm serious we got to go to the forget the we gotta go to, to we gotta uh, right so, uh, Moses. You know what the beautiful you know what the beautiful thing about about Moses? What Moshe says? He doesn't go to Pharaoh and say, "You're violating our civil rights." How dare you? I'm going to take you on war. You know, to, uh, take you uh, prosecute you for war crimes. And he says, Hashem says, "Let my people go." It's a different story. That's another discussion. It's more like we, I think we talked about it once in this class. Anyway, the point here is that Pharaoh, we can understand. That's the beauty of all of this. After all of this, after chapter 2, from page 28 to 34, suddenly Pharaoh makes a lot of sense. Right? You, you, you read Torah the first time. You read the story and it says, Moshe says, let many people go. So why doesn't he listen? Because he says, who's God? Who's Hashem? I know nature. Nature is whoever's stronger wins. Right? Whoever has the most strongest, whatever, whoever has the most money, wins. That's how it works. That's how the world works. Whoever's got the stronger gods wins. Right? It's not who you know, it's what you, whatever. It's all that stuff, that's how it works. So you want to tell me that God is going to free, God wants you free? What? What are you saying? 
But then the other question is, so then why did the plagues, which ultimately convinced Pharaoh, how come he didn't um, kind of explain that through his construct, which is, in other words, whatever plagues were visited were so unbelievably powerful that that made him believe that we're going to get into the plagues and a little bit about the transformation and the purpose of the plagues, and then in chat, we're about to get into that. But the short, the abbreviated version, as an intro, is that's exactly what the plagues were doing. The plagues were telling Pharaoh, God is going to get involved, and God is involved. And when God says, "I want these people out," He'll make it happen, so that you see that the God of nature is not any different than the God of the supernatural. There was the God of Earth which you've now pegged as other, all these other things, is actually this one and the same as the God of Heaven, so to speak. It's the same thing. Hashem, Hu Elohim. Say that in the Elenu. We'll get again into this and the translation of all this in a moment. So let's actually begin. Chapter 3. 34. Alright. Ed, you ready? Fundamental error. Fundamental error. This is truly an erroneous belief, for he who dwells on high is the very one who looks down to low upon heaven and earth. Now, this is again another quote from the Hallel. Hamabi Tsugazun, Hamabi Loshaves, Mashpidi Lures Bashamayim Varetz. So, he who dwells on high, in other words, the mistake is to say that God on high is not at all involved. Hashem is, God is involved in the heavens. But on earth, that's left up to human beings to, for us to figure out and, 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 and play uh, power games. So he said, no, the same God who dwells on high is the one, the same one who looks down so low upon heaven and earth. Oh, and there's a word that's not translated. The word is bashava, bashava, which means equally. So it's really, it should be translated as, God, the one who dwells on high is the very one who looks down so low upon heaven and earth equally. In other words, God looks... God is not slanted toward heaven because heaven is closer to God and then God is not involved in earth. God is involved in both heaven and earth equally. And again, as we explained before, heaven doesn't mean the physical heavens, it means the spiritual realms. So God is involved in the realm of spirit and also in the, in the doings of, uh, of, of our physical reality. Continue. Accordingly, the Jews who are believers, the children of believers, that there is no constellation for the Jews no one believes in Hashgacha Pratik, that God supervises in detail all that transpires on the earth, as well as in the waters and the waters below the earth. Okay, so what he's saying over here is like this. There's a statement, where does it come from? I think the Talmud, 48, yeah, Shabbat. Okay, the, this, the Talmud says, Yisrael, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim, are believers, the children of believers. In other words, the idea is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, they, as I said before, they trailed, the, they blazed the trail, trailed the blaze, they blazed the trail of belief, of monotheism, and they taught it to their children and their children's children, and it's been passed down through generation to generation. The idea of there not being a separation, there not being a dissonance between Hashem on high and the world below. So it says in the Talmud, Yisrael, Ma'aminim b'nei Ma'aminim, the Jewish people are believers, the children are believers. There's belief is part of the bloodstream. Belief is something that's passed down from generation to generation. It's passed down through teaching Torah, this is something that's passed down organically. 
The Talmud also says, as I quoted before, there's no constellation for the Jews or there's no constellation for the land of Israel. The idea is that there is a direct connection between, between the Jew and God. And therefore, it makes it easier, in a sense, to recognize the truth that Hashem is involved in the world. Now, what he says over here is like this. The conflict between Moses and Pharaoh is the same conflict that you have between Jacob and Esau, is the same conflict that you have between the land of Israel and the other lands. In other words, it's the same, the same issue, the same... You know, think of the Monday Night Football, the two helmets crashing against each other. It's the same clashing of worldviews. The clashing of the worldviews, and let's, let's focus now on the story of Moses and Pharaoh, because that's what we're about to get into in the next paragraph. The clashing between Moses and Pharaoh is, Moses comes along and says, God, Hashem, is involved in what happens on earth. God wants His people free. God wants the Jewish people free. And Pharaoh says, what are you talking about? God is not involved. This is exactly the, the, the this, this is this is the clashing of worldviews that that that's occurring, where you have one individual or one side saying, "God is not only the God of heaven; God is the God of earth as well." And the other side is saying, "What are you talking about? The God is God of heaven, and the earth. The earth has other gods. The earth has multiple gods. The earth has other forces that are that are in control." The Moses worldview is Hashkacha Pratis. As you see on top of there, Hashkacha Pratit. And what is that detailed supervision? What does it mean, detailed supervision? We alluded to this before, we explained it before a few pages ago. It means that everything that happens on earth, down to the very detail, as I explained to you the last week or the week before, even the way a leaf flutters from the tree, every nuance, every flutter through the air, every detail is divinely guided and per God's plan. There is nothing that eludes divine supervision, Hashem's, uh, Hashem's watch. Pharaoh says, Hashem is not involved at all in what happens on earth. And therefore, the Jewish people will be my slaves. Moses says, the Jewish people say, God is involved in every detail on earth. God is involved to the last, to the last molecule. What's going to happen on earth? And when God says that it's time to go, it's time to go. And you can't stop it. This is, this is the confrontation that happens in the palace, in Pharaoh's palace. Moses says, let my people... Hashem said... Let my, Moses didn't say, let my people go. Hashem said that I should say, let my people go. That's what he says. And, 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 and Pharaoh says, who's Hashem? What are you talking about? What does Hashem have to do with this story? And Moses says, that's exactly the point. You have to know... That, and, the, and the plagues are going to teach you, as we're going to read right now in the next paragraph, the plagues, the purpose of the plagues are to educate. The plagues were a form of education. I guess it's old school education with the rod a little bit, but education, right? That God is involved in every detail of the world. And when God says the Nile is going to turn to blood, it turns to blood. And when God says there's going to be frogs in your ovens, there's frogs in your ovens. In other words, God is involved in the details. God is not like a CEO that's like not involved. God is involved. Hashkacha brought this detailed uh, involvement, detailed supervision. This is the fundamental Jewish belief. This is what Abraham came to, what he told his son Isaac, and what he told what Isaac told Jacob, and what Jacob taught the twelve tribes, and what they held on to in Egypt, despite all the hell that they faced. They held on to the fact that they would be redeemed, that God would take them out, and as long as they're there, they're there. They don't know why, and they're going to do whatever they can to get out. But the point is. 
that God is involved and God can help. Now, was there, uh, were there spirits in a sense, you know, this, the, the wind lift taken out of their sails a little bit because of years of slavery? Absolutely. But the fundamental core beliefs were still there. Yeah. This also explains why Jews are so, have always been involved in revolution. I mean, this is an absolute revolution. Sure. You know, to, 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 you know, there's a whole economic construct that's been set up for hundreds of years. Sure. And he's not saying these are the intellectual, rational reasons why. He's just saying now is the time for Now is the time. Now is the time, and it's going to happen. It's, it, you know, the concept of, of revolution, the concept of, 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 the, of the human spirit and human dignity. Which is what every every revolution. I mean, hopefully every at least revolutions begin with that until they end up killing people, whatever. But revolutions at least begin with the human spirit element, begin with freedom, personal freedoms, etc. All of it traces its source. All of it is Abrahamic, if you will, or uh, Jewish, or Torah, whatever you want to call it. It all goes back to this thing. And again, what he's saying here is this is the Jewish. These are the Jewish core values, and these are. Pharaoh's core values and they're, they're butting heads Pharaoh doesn't see the same world as Moses does and, Mo, and Pharaoh is about to get schooled yeah. he's about to get schooled let's read the next paragraph and then we're going to break yeah. quick question just about words um, yeah. mazel or mazel is yeah. the word for constellations when yeah. we say mazel tov is it, are we actually saying may good energy come down from the constellations mazel also means luck so what we're saying is good luck when a kid becomes 13, it's like, good luck, you're going to need it. No, I'm kidding. Mazel means... Mazel also, yeah, it means constellation. Yeah. I wondered if it was related. Absolutely. May the stars align you. Yeah. Even though I, but we don't believe in stars. Right, but it's kind of I don't know. So you tell somebody, I'm not... No mazel for you. Make a thrown out of the, the celebration. All right. Speaking of mazel tubs, I'm going to get to something soon. 36. Continue. One more paragraph. This is what Moses meant. This is what Moses meant after God afflicted Pharaoh and all of Egypt when he said, You should know that there is none other like me in the whole world, emphasizing in the whole world. Now, this, this comes after, I think, the sixth plague. This is still the smack in the middle of the plagues. Moses says to Pharaoh, FYI, because of all these plagues, you're going to know that there's none other like me in the whole world. In other words, in other words, um, there's none other like me in the whole world means I'm in the whole world. In other words... Not that there's no other like me be, that can create a heavens, but there's none other like me in the whole world, on the ground. You think that the ground, on the ground, has nothing to do with me. You're going to see now, not only am I involved, there's none other like me in the whole world, in the, on the ground. Ba'aretz. Bechal Aretz. Continue. This is... This, this was in order to eradicate... No, 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 the, the other one. This is also... I'm sorry. Yeah, this is also what is meant by the verse... In order that they should speak highly of my name in the whole world. God says, I'm bringing these plagues in order that they, i.e. the Egyptians, in other words, the Egyptians now are, are emblematic of that opposing worldview that says, like Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? What is God? I'm not going to let you go. What does God have to do with this? Right? What's God, what's, what's God, have, what's God got to do with it? So, so God says, yeah, the plagues are in order that they should speak highly of my name in the whole world. In other words, that, th- that they should recognize in the whole world, in the Arab, it's in the land, in the earth itself, that I'm present, that I'm involved. Continue. This was in order to eradicate from them their erroneous belief that God has abandoned the world and relegated its sole management to the constellations, leaving himself to play no role whatsoever in its management. Okay, and we're going to stop here.
We're going to stop here because then in the next paragraph we get to Hashem Havaya and Elohim, which is, we, I foreshadowed it today. Next week we're going to really uh, take it to the, to the next level. Okay, so just, just to kind of wrap up what we've done today, uh, just to kind of get the, the progression and, and the build-up and how we explain everything. We started out by talking about the Holy Land of Israel and what makes it holy. And we explained that Kabbalistically, the Arizal explains, the Kabbalah explains that every other land is associated with an angel and a star. Whereas Israel is not associated with an angel or star, it has a direct connection. We then explain that because lands are so typically are associated with angels and stars, it becomes, it, it is very, human beings are susceptible and we're very, um, yeah, we're, we're susceptible to erroneously thinking that because the energy is coming through an angel and a star, therefore we ought to extol the angel and the star. We ought to serve, perhaps, the angel and the star. We got to focus on the angel and the star, because God is not involved. The angel and the star are the ones running the show. This is, as we pointed out in the parentheses, a mistake, because even though an angels, angels and stars are channeling energy, it is but a channel, but it's not actually... It's only a, merely a tool, and it's not actually the source. We then explained that the, um, the mistake of Pharaoh is the same mistake... Good morning... The mistake of Pharaoh is to say that the world is not at all related to Hashem. In other words, that Hashem certainly exists, but Hashem exists in a different plane of reality, but not on the ground. Moses' job, Moses, when Moses approaches Pharaoh, there's a lack of communication because Moses is speaking from a Jewish perspective that God is involved in the world. And Pharaoh says, what are you talking about? I, that doesn't at all register here. I don't see God involved. This is where the plagues come in. And the plagues are all about education. It's all, the plagues are all about educating and teaching, right, and, instru- and, and, and demonstrating and illuminating the eyes of Pharaoh and Egypt and really the whole world and, and whoever opens up the Torah in, in, in years and centuries and millennia to follow, that God is involved in the world and God does rule the world and God is, etc. Hashem is Elohim, as we'll talk about next week. So this is, this is what we covered today. And the bottom line is, as, we, as I made it personal before, this is perhaps is a good takeaway, in our lives, we're susceptible to say the same thing as Pharaoh. So who is God that I should listen to? Who's God? What does God have to do with it? If I need this blessing, if I, if I need this help, or if I need that help, prayer, shmeir, I, I don't know. I don't know, tzedakah, mitzvah, it's, well, you're not speaking my language. What do I need to do practically to make it better? What do I need to do? And this is a mistake that we make. This is Pharaoh's perspective. Moses' perspective, the perspective of Torah, the perspective of Torah Semes, the Torah of truth is that God is involved and God is as hands-on here as He is up in the heavens. And if we want things to change, certainly we have to do whatever we can on a practical level. But at the same time, we have to remember where the source comes from, where the blessings come from, and uh, where our proverbial bread is buttered. Good stuff. So, if then with food. Alright, good. Thank you all for coming today. We meet next week, same bat time, same Kabbalah time, same Kabbalah channel. 9.30 a.m. Uh, Sunday. And I want to mention a few important...